SoCal Gals, where we chat about anything and everything soccer with a SoCal slant. As always, I'm Alicia, and Josie is here with me, and uh, let's jump right into some headlines. Uh, first up, the United States women concluded a Pia's farewell tour on Wednesday night with a 6-2 victory over Australia. Uh, what will be the lasting impact of Pia's time uh, with the women's team? Um, well, I, I was at the women's team's match at the Home Depot Center on Sunday, uh, and the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, you know, it, there was something at stake, uh, and yet still had about 20k show up, and everyone was cheering, and they were cheering slide tackles, which is a little silly, but um, <laughs> just you know, everything was exciting. It was this really hyped up sort of atmosphere, and um, I think what she has done is brought the women's team back to that part where it's really exciting again. You know, 1999 in the Rose Bowl, Brandi Chastain whooping your shirt out, like that was kind of the height of it. You know, Mia Hamm is the best women's player in the world, and you know, that was the good times, and then there was a bit of a lull, and you know, she's had the second highest winning percentage of any women's national team coach. Um, she's had the best World Cup finish since that 99 uh, cycle, and she was able to keep the uh, gold standard going at the Olympics, where you know, the, the women's team keeps winning at the Olympics. Uh, she kind of inherited Abby Wambach, who's the second highest scorer of all time now, but she's also uh, groomed Alex Morgan to be uh, a future star. Um, and it's 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 been exciting to witness. I don't know what what have your experiences been with this particular uh, cycle with the women's team? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know one of the things when you you hear the media coverage of of Pia and what she's done for the team is you know there's a lot of attention on how she likes to have fun and you know she she loves singing and stuff like that. But I actually think on some level that that's been useful for the, you know, for the team. Um, it seems like the team has, you know, the women who play regularly for the national team, they seem to have a lot of fun out there. And I realize that, you know, on a victory tour, of course, they're having fun. Of course, they're playing exhibition matches where, you know, they're, for the most part, throttling, you know, completely overmatched opponents. So, of course, they're going to be having fun. But I think that there is a sense of you know, maybe a sense of lightness amongst the players that uh, wasn't around for the, the previous cycle. And um, certainly with some of the, you know, at least a few of the players on the team, and in particular I'm thinking about Hope Solo, I think it's good to have somebody who's a little bit more lighthearted and, and having a bit of a lighter touch with some of those um, prickly players, let's say. Um, you know, because there weren't any major controversies between uh, coach and players. I mean, they, they were fully behind her this time. Um, they really believed in playing for her, and, uh, you know, like I said, it looked like they had fun in the process, and, and I think that that's sort of the, you know, the holy holy grail, if you will, um, you know, of, of winning some titles and, and uh, looking like you're doing it, uh, you know, having a good time in the process. Yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, well, you know, the fun, the singing, uh, you know, after the, the, the match on Sunday, uh, the players gave her a guitar. And it was signed by all the players, and you know, they asked her to sing for the crowd, and she did a little, little ditty. Um, but you could tell she was beloved, 
and you know that's not always the case uh, with the coach and you know hope so is definitely uh, a pricky prickly personality is a nice way of saying it um, and yeah yeah she's able to get all of them on the same page uh, and heading toward the same goal uh, which is not necessarily an easy thing to do, so more power to her. Um, but the duck says we have to move on. So, uh, an 89th minute goal is about as tough a way to lose as there is. Uh, Robin Fraser said after the game that he thought the team put together some good things in the first half. Uh, what positives are you holding on to during Chivas' losing streak? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the reference to that is obviously Chivas, uh, they traveled to Ohio and played the Columbus crew for the first and only time on Wednesday and, and, and lost in the 89th minute when uh, Justin Miram came on and, and, and scored a goal uh, towards the end of the game. Um, as far as the positives, I mean, at this point it seems to be kind of difficult to, you know, to really get anything out of it. Um, and I think there's a lot of frustration on the part of, of the players. I mean, reading the, the interviews that they're doing and the comments that they're um, providing to the press, uh, it's clear that their sort of true belief in themselves is, has dipped to, you know, a, a, an all-time low, at least for this season. Um, you know, the fans are frustrated. I mean, just to give you some perspective, they've lost four in a row. Um, and then they, they haven't won in their last eight. And in that span, they've had two draws. So they've gotten two points in their last eight matches. Um, you know, so it, it's been tough, for sure. I mean, I think if there are any positives, I'd say that uh, the last three games, they've played much better. Um, they have lost those games. But prior to that, they were losing some real blowouts, um, you know, where, where the opponents were scoring four, five, six goals on them. And uh, the last couple of games, it's been much closer. This one was a 1-0 loss uh, on Saturday. They lost 2-0 to San Jose, which, you know, of course, they're a good team. Um, prior to that, they lost 2-1 to to Seattle with another last-minute goal. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely showing that there are still a lot of problems with the team at the moment. But, um, you know, the, the attack has been playing pretty well. They haven't been converting as many chances as they need to. The defense has not been... You know, a complete sieve at the moment, that's good, but uh, they're just not linking up, they're not clicking, they're not getting points, and, uh, it, you know, it's a real it's a real disappointment, for sure, at this point. Well, Chivas was, was, was doing well for, for, you know, a good part of the middle of the season there. You know, they were right at the edge of the playoffs, um, they weren't giving up goals, uh, Kennedy was, was great uh, at his position, and there was sort of this belief that uh, if they could start scoring goals, you know, they, they could easily sneak into the playoffs. Um, and I guess with with all the, the games in hand that they have uh, from some weird scheduling, uh, they're still the team that kind of, you know, can sneak into the playoffs, weirdly enough, even though technically they're uh, in last place. Um, I think... With this weekend's results, well, with with Chivas losing, uh, I think four of the teams, San Jose's already clinched, but three other spots can be clinched. 
so it's still Vancouver, Chivas, and Dallas probably in that last slot. Um, so there is, you know, mathematical hope. Uh, and I mean, is, is it a positive that, I mean, in the minute, you know, obviously the defense played well all the way up until that point. Um, but, and there again, there's that frustration again. Either they're <laughs> holding everyone to nothing or it's just kind of foobar. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, that's what's frustrating about it. I mean, I think if there have been, you know, losses with some wins mixed in there, you know, it, it would be frustrating for sure. But I mean, the same thing happened last season, you know, where the team really dipped at the end of the year when they were trying to make a playoff push. The timing's almost identical, but the problem is this year it's been worse. Um, they've lost worse and their streak has been much worse than it was at the end of 2011. And that's what's frustrating, because you're right, there was absolute belief um, heading into August that this team was actually going to you know, put together a, a playoff run, and I think there was acknowledgement it was going to be hard, but there was still a belief that, that they could do it, and at this point, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well, gotta move on. Well, Doug says we have to move on, so uh, let's do it. Um, so the LA Galaxy, your team, uh, walked away from Puerto Rico with a draw. I believe it was a scoreless draw, correct? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So is there any fear that the Galaxy might not make it through the group stages in the CONCACAF Champions League at this point? Well, you know, CONCACAF did this big change this year, uh, and everyone kind of found out about it uh, during the, the last knockout stage. but. Uh, they, they went from groups of four and two people, two teams moving on to groups of three and uh, only one team moving on from each group. And so it's changed the dynamics a whole lot, which is making it more difficult to make predictions. Um, they haven't even, <laughs> this is a frustration, but they haven't updated the rules on their website from the transition, so no one's really sure what the tiebreakers are going to be, so you can't really predict who is going to advance, uh, but what we have seen from the new format is that um, one team has secured their spot in, in, the, in the next round, that's Seattle Sounders, and they've gotten every point they can, and their group uh, <laughs> in, is, is awful. Um, but that's been more the tone, is groups are awful. Uh, I think every group but one has a team that's already been eliminated, uh, and that just it changes the dynamic where it's less about clinching things uh, and more about uh, you know kind of sifting out the one team that's going to be the the doormat um, and that's obviously Puerto Rico for the, the Galaxies group and with the result last night uh, Puerto Rico are eliminated and so it kind of just comes down to what Isidro Metapan can do uh, when they go to Puerto Rico um, Metapan right now is four points behind the Galaxy. Obviously, a win in Puerto Rico would make the Galaxy's trip down to Metapan much more uh, tense. Um, while any other result would make things uh, a lot easier, since the Galaxy do enjoy a seven-plus goal differential. Um, so it's kind of, it's, they still control their own destiny, you know, they still, they win and they move on, there's no, no one else has to do anything, and that's one of the nice things about these new groups is that 
uh, there's much less uh, worrying about tiebreakers and what possible scenarios there are uh, because you only have the three teams. Uh, it seems to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff uh, a little bit faster. Um, and it has also produced the result that I think they were wanting because it's a lot of Mexican teams and MLS that are at the top of these groups. Um, so the quarterfinals, you know, instead of having Morelia come to LA for a group stage match, you're probably going to have Santos or uh, I don't think Guadalajara is close, but you know, it'll be a much more higher profile match for the quarterfinals. Uh, have you been able to watch any of the, the CONCACAF matches on Box Soccer? Yeah, I haven't watched any uh, this week, but I mean, I watched like a minute of the RSL game, but nothing really substantial. But I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is that coming into the tournament, it seemed like uh, most of the groups had a clear favorite, and in fact, I think the Galaxies group was one of the most competitive groups maybe um, in the mix because um, I know that uh, Metapan was a quarterfinalist last season um, and I think one of their best players, he's transferred to Europe, uh, Lester Blanco, so I mean that could make the difference for them this year. But um, you know, they, they actually gave Pumas a run for their money um, in the knockout stages last year um, and then obviously the Galaxy with their history with the the Puerto Rico Islanders in the CCL a few years ago, I mean, I think there was some expectation it wasn't going to be an easy match um, for the Galaxy there either. So, um, you know, I'm not necessarily surprised that, that the Galaxy are, are struggling a little bit, but uh, it seems like they're in, you know, like you said, they're in good shape as far as if they win, then, then they should be, uh, you know, advancing and, and, and being one of those elite teams that are going to be continuing through. But I think that... Um, you know, Metapon doesn't play in, you know, in, in MLS or in, in uh, Mexico, but I, I do think that they're one of the better teams. Um, you know, at least recently, they've been one of the better teams in the tournament. So, so it, it seems like there's still quite a bit to play for. And um, for your perspective, that's probably not great, but I think from a neutral perspective, uh, that's not too bad. Uh, it, it it does. Shut up, duck. There, it, it does make a for some good times uh, going forward. But we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we have an interview with Luis Bueno, so stick around for that. All right, Luis, uh, let's start off with a question about the team you're covering now, which is Chivas USA. Uh, what do you make of this team at the moment? Well, this team, they're playing hard. You know, they're obviously in last place, and that's not, not where they wanted to be, but uh, it's not for lack of effort. You know, they're, they're giving up goals uh, at the wrong moment, but they're still out there trying, fighting. You know, they still believe that they have a shot at the playoffs, uh, however un unrealistic that may seem. But, you know, this team, if we were in the middle of the season right now, there would be hope, you know. So, unfortunately, this, you know, the, the stretch run is coming up, and the time... Time is, you know, time already ran out. The margin of error is gone, and you know, at this point, it's just mostly playing for pride. But but this team, you know, a couple of bounces here and there, and they could have a few more victories, and they could be within reach of a playoff spot. 
Luis, it's uh, Josie. Um, I know you're not covering the galaxy anymore, but I was just wondering, uh, if, you, if you were, what would you have written about uh, Christian Wilhelmsen and that acquisition? You know, um, that's, uh, that's the kind of acquisition that, that can really make a difference in the playoffs. You know, he's a guy that has played at the, the biggest levels before. He's played, obviously, in Europe, World Cups, uh, things like that. And he's, bring, he's brought in, but he's not the guy that's going to make or break the season for him, you know. He's just another uh, supporting role. He's another piece of the puzzle that is going to help take them to the next level. You know, and so he comes in without the pressure that, like, you know, say Robbie Keane had a year ago or, you know, we see all, these, all the time where these big-name big European players come in and they're expected to kind of save the season or, or, you know, be the guy down the stretch. You know, we're seeing that with Chicago bringing in Guillermo Franco. You know, Wilhelmsen, not that guy, but he doesn't mean he can't contribute. He's going to contribute. He already has. He's going to slide right in, and, and he's just, you know, he's just another piece that the, that the you know, a galaxy, a well-oiled machine, is going to, they're going to use him to the, to the max, and he's definitely going to be a big asset in the playoffs. All right, uh, next question for you, Lisa. You've covered, obviously, both the Galaxy and Chivas USA this season for MLSsoccer.com. A uh, little bit lighthearted question here. Uh, briefly, what do you think are the positives and negatives of covering each team? I mean, you're in a unique position as, I think, the only beat writer this year that switched beats. Well, um, they're very, very different kinds of, of organizations. You know, the Galaxy is more like the corporate team. You know, they're, they're the team that you, you, you lace up your, your shoes and, you know, you wear a tie, shirt and tie for, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, of course. Um, you know, and they're run a certain way. And, you know, uh, from, from a journalism side, you've got to kind of figure out, you know, what are the, what are the good, who are the good people to speak to, when's a good day to go out, things like that, because, you know, they only make the players available certain days. So, um, you know, you got to kind of answer to them a lot. Whereas Chivas is more like laid back, you know, they're the they're the they're the, the, the Sunday rec team. They just show up and you know they just have fun with with things, and it, it's very casual, laid back uh, atmosphere, you know. And, and I think that that kind of spills over from from the coaching staff. You know, Bruce Arena is kind of a guy who he's kind of a no nonsense guy. He doesn't really take a lot of, of, of mess from, from anybody, you know. And and, and Frazier and, and Chivas staff. You know, they're kind of more laid back and, you know, they don't really, um, you know, and I guess that speaks to, to the kind of pressures that, that they have, the organizations that, that run them. You know, the Galaxy AG, big corporate, you know, has their, their fingers throughout all over the world. And Chivas USA is kind of like, uh, you know, <laughs> we're in limbo, you know, they're in limbo right now. We don't know who the, the ownership is and where it's coming from. So it's, it, they play in the same building. They're like not that far from each other, the locker rooms, but... They're two very different organizations. All right, Luis, we'll get you out of here on this question. Uh, you've traveled with the Galaxy before. Uh, can you give us a little insight into what it was probably like for them down in Puerto Rico yesterday? I heard something like 100% humidity. Um, what's it like just being in that kind of environment? Uh, it's cra it's a little bit a little bit crazy, you know. Um, you know, obviously, you go to these places and. And they, they got different conditions, different, you know, climate, things like that. Um, the Galaxy is, uh, you know, a big-name club outside of the country. And, and you realize that when you get to airports and there's people there, you know, hoping to see David Beckham, hoping to see Landon Donovan. You know, uh, we're, I was fortunate enough to go down to Costa Rica 
last year when it was David Beckham's first time ever down there, and it was really chaotic, you know, down in the, in the hotels and at the stadiums, you know, and there was all sorts of people there, and, and it seems like they all knew that where the Galaxy were staying, you know, and so that created kind of a big, a big atmosphere. Um, you know, and I went down to Mexico when David Beckham wasn't there, and it was, there were a lot of people there in media, and, you know, a little bit lesser in extent than Costa Rica because they're, they're used to, to big teams and big games in, in the city of Morelia. Um, but still, you know, it, it felt like, like it was a big club arriving, and, you know, um, they're used to it, obviously, because, you know, that's kind of like, like that here in the United States. Uh, but definitely when you go abroad, it turns up a notch or two, you know. And, and I think that that kind of helps them step their game up. You know, they, they take it more seriously. They see it more like, you know, the big event versus uh, just another game, a road game. You know, not that they don't show up for those here, but, you know, certainly it's, it's another two or three uh, notches up from that. You know, so they go to Puerto Rico, where they've been there before, but there's no guarantee that they'll go back, you know, and, and, and they kind of just take that a little bit more serious. And I think that's, that's why you've seen them, you know, in Toronto they tied, uh, uh, against Puerto Rico Wednesday they tied. And they won, you know, they're not from earlier, but, um, you know, they, they, all, they play well, they play hard on the road, and, and you know, they're not, a, they're not a pushover at all for, for opposing teams. All right, well, thank you very much for your time, Luis. Awesome, thanks hey, for having me. Moving right along, we're going to try out a new game that we are calling What Are the Chances? Uh, simple, simple enough. And yet, of course, another PTI ripoff. But really, who's who's counting? Um, so let's let's get started. Uh, what are the chances that we see another Olympico and MLS play this year? All right, I'm going to be a little bit bold, although it won't sound like it. But I'm going to go with uh, 20%. I wish I could say it was higher than 20%, but uh, I'm going to go with 20 because. Uh, I've counted Marco Papa, he had one in April, and then uh, Thierry Henry had one this past weekend. Um, and then I was thinking that David Beckham had had one, but he played, he, he did it in uh, Champions League and not in MLS play, uh, but he did it in August. So there's been two in MLS play and three by MLS players this year. Um, I mean, I love them, right? Like, who doesn't love a, an Olympico, you know, direct uh, a goal directly from a corner kick? Um, you know, Marco Pop is gone, but we still have uh, Henri and Beckham, and I'm sure there's a couple other guys who are practicing hard and in training every day at them. So, uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with 20%. What do you think? Um, I'm I'm gonna go a little bit lower than you. I'm going with 10%. Um, you know, I I, I remember Beckham's, uh, and just I can picture it in my head. You know, it's coming in. And it kind of bounces off the keeper and goes in, but everyone, you know, it was going to go in anyway, so it's given the Olympico. Um, and, you know, obviously Henri's is fresh in everyone's mind. Uh, but there's such an element of, of, of chance to them. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a skill to, to bend the ball. I'll, you know, I'm not going to take that away, but it's, it's a skill that takes so much. Uh, of the defense doing things wrong, you know, someone has to come off the post. Yep. Someone has to, um, you know, get distracted by what's happening uh, to the left of them. It's not something that you can say, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna do an Olympico now. Like that's we're gonna run the Olympico play. <laughs> it just, it doesn't exist. 
Uh, and we've had a bunch of them this this year, and it's been nice, and it's been fun, but realistically, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen again. Alright, so Ducks telling us we got to talk about something else. So let's uh, turn our attention to the UEFA Champions League. Um, one of the big games of this week was uh, Manchester City against Real Madrid. It was a thriller, at least the last 20 minutes or so. Um, Manchester City lost yesterday, and, uh, you know, that was not probably their ideal start to the uh, group of death, as it's been called. But what are the chances that the EPL champion ends up in the Europa League for a second consecutive year? Um, I, I went with 1%. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, you know, there is, it was kind of embarrassing last year when Manchester United and Men's City both got bumped to the Europa League. Um, and I think that serves as a bit of a wake-up call uh, for these clubs. You know, it's, you, you, yeah, you, UEFA Champions League is much more lucrative than CONCACAF. There's an incentive to take the competition seriously. And it's going to be a tough group, but losing 3-2 in Spain is not something to be embarrassed about. I mean, it shows it shows how difficult getting out of this group is going to be. Uh, but you know, it, this is what Man City is built to do. We've seen them go and win the FA Cup, and then win the EPL, and now they need to do something in Champions League. This is what they're supposed to do, but what about what about you? What do you think? I mean, you know, the I guess the if I if I remember my math correctly, the mathematical chance would be twenty five percent. But um, you know, I think that Ajax obviously they they've had a little bit of a renaissance in in the Dutch league last season, but I think they're still the weakest team in the group. I think uh, Borussia Dortmund is going to be the big uh, question mark because they have a second year of Champions League play under their belt, just like Manchester City. Uh, they're the two-time champions in Germany. Um, you know, so I think, to a large extent, it's going to come down to which team between Dortmund and, and Manchester City play, uh, you know, better. I think, you know, Real Madrid can certainly fall apart. I mean, they're struggling a little bit in the league, but I think, you know, it's a safe bet to assume they're going to advance, and then it's going to come down to um, Dortmund or, or City to uh, get the second spot, and I think then the other team is probably going to get the third spot and then go to Europa League. So it... it um, you know, 25% is, is, you know, the, the I guess, exact uh, proportion. But I, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the 35% chance that they end up in, in Europa League again. Okay. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be tough for them, for sure. That's completely fair. Um, moving on, the Chicago Fire find themselves second place in the East, four points behind Sporting Kansas City. What are the chances that they win the East? Uh, I'm going to go with 10%. Uh, I I know that they're playing really well and they're, they're picking up points you know, left and right. I know that the Chicago Fire fans feel that uh, folks who write about MLS do not respect them, or their team, I should say. Uh, but I have to admit, I don't... <laughs> It's not that I don't respect their team. I don't believe that they're the best team in the East. Um, I think, you know, I think Sporting Kansas City is a better team. I think Houston is a better team. I think New York is a better team. I think all three of those teams can struggle at times. Certainly, none of them are invincible. But I just think all three of those teams are, are clearly uh, stronger than Chicago. And 
you know, I think Chicago is definitely going to be in the playoffs, and I think they could make a run. But you know, I think they're going to be the odds-on favorite to, uh, um, you know, be the the first top team knocked out of the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with 10% for them. What about you? Uh, yeah. You're going to call me Negative Nancy, but I'm, I'm going with 2%. Okay. Um, this is no chance. Uh, the, the Fire are the quintessential... I'm going to say mediocre, and people are going to yell at me, but mediocre doesn't mean bad. It just means that they are consistently average. And being consistently average in a conference that has been wacky-tacky with New York going on runs, and Houston, and Kansas City, uh, they've been consistent, and that's gotten them where they are. But, I don't think that they are a team that can get to the top and hold it, because there are going to be teams that are going to be super hot, and, and, and knock them from that perch. I just don't see them holding first place uh, through October. All right, so here's our last uh, topic of the week. And, I mean, we should say before we head into it, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing story, so we're just going to do a a, a quick and and maybe slightly humorous take on it for the moment, but I think we'll be talking about this more in coming weeks. But uh, AEG, uh, which is... uh, owns the Galaxy amongst many other teams and properties in LA and elsewhere, um, is up for sale according to several reports uh, from this week. So what are the chances that David Beckham ends up owning the Galaxy? I finally have a positive one. I'm going to go at 75%. Wow. Um, You know, there were these rumors in the paper a couple maybe a week ago that Beckham and Alexi Lawless were going in on a team that turned out to be Hokum. Um, but he does have that clause in his contract that he can own an MLS team. He's at the end of his career. We don't know if he has an option year for next year, if it's on him, if it's on the team. We don't know what's happening there, but the only thing we know for sure is that he can buy an MLS team and that he seems to like living in Los Angeles. So it makes perfect sense to me that he would use some of his giant pile of money to buy, if AEG does break apart the company, which I think they'll have to do, um, to buy the the soccer component of the company. Um, And which the other part of that is I have I haven't known how to approach the story because we don't know anything other than oh age up for sale, and that's just not a whole lot to go on. Um, but uh, what is what is your take on the story? Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting and obviously the timing is pretty interesting too. And yeah, like you said, the fact that it I mean AEG is enormous, so you know who knows if it's going to be one person sort of controlling the entire company like. It currently is, or if there's just going to be a, somebody buying it and a million spinoffs or, or what have you. But um, I guess for the Beckham question, owning the Galaxy, um, yeah, we'll go with uh, we'll go with 50 percent. Um, you know, I, I, you're right in the you know the the, the much discussed clause about him owning a team, and a lot of people, you know, were sort of speculating that it was going to have to be New York too, even though that didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, I guess just because, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense on, on many levels that the Galaxy are going to be the team he, he may uh, own in the future, um, 
and you know with with the timing of this coming up and and it could be an ongoing story where somebody buys it and then you know sells it on um and he could be there to pick it up so so i'm gonna go with 50 50 on that one yeah i mean like you said it's gonna be a developing story and we'll certainly uh keep our uh finger on the pulse but it was kind of a bombshell and uh, you know without having any kind of perspective from AEG it's it's all pretty much idle speculation at this point. Um, but you you mentioned New York too, so I wanted to ask, uh, did you hear uh, of the the names that MLS has registered as possible New York two uh, names? Yeah, they were. I, I don't recall them exactly, but they were pretty generic, right? Like, it's uh, Empire FC or okay. City FC, which is really like I can't imagine an MLS team having that much chutzpah. To right. be City FC. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, that sounds like um, an amalgamation of two, you know, two of the generic, like, fill-in-the-blank soccer names, you know, or around the world. It's like, let's put an FC, and a lot of teams are named City, so let's just call it City FC and call it a day. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, thanks everyone for joining us on another week. Um, make sure you subscribe in iTunes. Um, and make sure you are following me on Twitter. Um, I'm Rock, the letter N, and Josie. And Alicia, where can we find you? I am at Soccer Musings, all one word. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Luis for coming out today. Yeah, that was really cool, Luis. And really cool for you guys listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.